it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Love this podcast because it crushes your dreams of getting rich quick. They actually got me into reading stats for anything. You're tuned in to the Investing for Beginners podcast. Led by Andrew Sather and Dave Ahern. Step-by-step premium investing guidance for beginners. Your path to financial freedom starts now. Starts now. All right, folks, welcome to Investing for Beginners podcast. Today, we are going to do a bird's eye view. We got this great question from Bruce, and we're going to do a little bird's eye view of a company that neither one of us are super familiar with. We know the name, but we're not intimately involved. So we thought this would be interesting for you guys to see maybe how we kind of, what we look for in a company and how we start kind of digging in and something we're not as familiar with. So here's the question from Bruce. Hi guys from Raleigh, North Carolina. Love the podcast. I've been listening for a few years. One of the best stock market podcasts out there. Thank you, Bruce. So on to my question. Can you do a deep dive on Top Golf ticker MODG? Thanks, Bruce. So yes, Bruce, we can. And we're going to try. So here we go. So Andrew, I guess let's talk about Top Golf and maybe give people maybe a, a quick overview of maybe what they are and who they are. Sure. I might have run into you, Bruce. I mean, I'm more of a drive shack kind of guy, more so than Top Golf. <laughs> I don't remember if we've like gotten our Top Golf here in Raleigh yet, or if that's coming. I may run into Bruce there one day. We'll see. It's basically a bowling alley for golfers. Is the best way I can describe it. So they have all these different bays, and you can hit the ball, and they track the ball, and you order drinks, and you order snacks, and just have a good time. So I love that place. So I'm somewhat familiar with this company. I do know they're broken out into different segments. So maybe I'm not the best person to give like a fresh kind of viewpoint on the company because I have done some work on it a little bit. So for you who, I don't know, have you been to a Top Golf before? I've been to one. I went to one in Phoenix, Arizona, and it was a blast. It was a lot of fun. And we went there during the day, so it wasn't very busy. And I actually got to kind of interview the server that was taking care of us because she didn't have much to do. And so I was like super curious about the place. I mean, it's, you know, beautiful location and, you know, the amenities and everything that they offer there were, you know, top notch. It was, it was, I was blown away with how cool it was. And she was kind of explaining to me how, you know, on the weekdays, it's not as busy during the days. It's not as busy, but on the weekend nights in particular, it's just packed, you know, with young people, it would become like the cool fun place to go and hang out because of the way that they structured it. You have all these different stalls, I guess you could call them. And people can, you know, six, eight, 10, 12 people can all pile into this little area and they can play together and they can have a lot of fun and they got video games and 
they got food and alcohol and you know other drinks and so it's this great date slash hangout place did you know when you went there that it was public i did not i had no idea when we got this question and we talked about us doing it i was like they're public that was the first thing out of my mouth like really like i didn't know all right so take us back on the time machine it's 10 minutes ago, we read this question and you found out that this cool company that you're somewhat familiar with is actually a public company. Take us through your process. What's the first kind of things you do to see if this is a company that's worth your time to analyze and see if you want to buy the stock one day? Right. So I guess the first thing I would do is I would try to pull up the financials. If I had enough time, I would pull up the 10K. If I didn't, I would go to someplace like Seeking Alpha and type in M-O-D-G in, into their little search bar. And they have a little kind of like overview slash synopsis that you can look at to find out what it is that the business does. So if I can't even understand what the business does, then I'm going to go ahead and throw it in a, the too hard pile and I wouldn't even go any farther. And so just by looking at, you know, the kind of the, I guess the brief overview, I can see it's, you know, I've been there, so I know it's about golf. And I know Callaway are one of the leading golf clubs that you can buy. And so they have other parts of their business, like you said, different segments and everything. So I understand that it's in retail. I understand it's in the golfing industry. And those are things I think I can understand. So then I would probably start to try to look at the financials to get maybe a sense of what it is they got going on with that. How about you? First thing I did, went to Stratosphere, Software and KPIs, went to QuickFS and tried to see what's the company look like over a long period of time. So the first thing that jumped out to me was in 2021, they had 97% revenue growth. So that was very interesting to me. I also see that they cut their dividend. So those are a couple of things that kind of pop when you and I talk about, well, you talk about like making an actual question list. I kind of do it without writing it down. But Mm -hmm. those are the first couple of things where if I want to try to figure out what's been going on with this company, what can I learn about them? I go straight to the revenue growth and I go to some of their earnings. And and they have quite a bit of negative earnings, not so much lately. Um, they had some negative earnings during 2020. So when I try to figure out, okay, why did they grow revenue 97%, I go to the cash flow statement. Because a lot of times a company will grow really fast by acquiring another company. So you can go on the cash flow statement and you can look for changes, cash from investing where there's uh, money spent for acquisitions. And if you see a big number there, then that could be the reason why they grew so much in revenue in such a short amount of time. And sure enough, when I look at QuickFS, they have the cash flow statement over 10 years. They did an acquisition for $481 million in 2019 when they usually earn about looks like 50 to 100 million a year. So four to five times their usual earning they spent on an acquisition. And it looks like it took two years to fully integrate into the business. So from there, I would probably want to find out, okay, what did they acquire? How does that play into what their financials look like today? And again, it just starts down this rabbit trail where I just keep following that white rabbit until I find something that tells me, hey, this is... All right, this is either too hard to your point, or I don't understand it, or don't want to spend the time on it, or it's just too much of a red flag, and then move on. So that's a long-winded way of saying, you know, every company for me is different, but that's kind of what I would try to do is start to build those questions and figure out what jumps out, and then Mm -hmm. try to work through that as quickly as you can. 
I mean, I think that's great. That's actually not something I've ever really thought much about. And so I think I like that kind of quick overview and thinking about what trying to assess why is there been such a big jump in revenues. If I was just looking at the numbers and didn't think about your reference, you know, relation to the free cash flow statement, I would have assumed it was a bounce back from COVID because mm. 2020 would have been COVID, the COVID year when most things were shut down, in particular, uh, something like Top Golf. I think, you know, depending on where you lived, I think I remember in Wisconsin, they were allowing people to go play golf because it was outdoors. There weren't a lot of people around and it was much easier to be separated from each other. But something like Top Golf would have definitely been shut down. So I would have just naturally assumed that it was just a rebound. But if you look farther back, like you said, you can see that the numbers they're putting up now are three to four times bigger than they were prior to the pandemic. So that doesn't explain why there was such a big jump just because they came back to life and it's not carnival cruises. <laughs> right. They're completely shut down. So that's a great catch. So what's next then? Uh, you've talked about going on Seeking Alpha, trying to understand the business a little bit. What would be your next step here? For me, the next step would be if I'm liking the things that I'm seeing and I want to kind of keep looking further into it, I would probably try to, I guess another snapshot of the overall company. And Stratosphere has a great, I guess, overview at the top of their page of any company you look at that has kind of an overview of all the different metrics, valuation metrics, margins, the returns, you know, the growth, all those things you can kind of see at a kind of a, a quick overview. And so for me, if I'm going to continue looking at the company, I would look at those and see if anything jumps out at me like if you're seeing negative earnings, for example, or if you're seeing any returns that are negative, or if the PE is 97, you know, in this case, it's 29. I don't know if that's good or not, but just something to notice. It doesn't jump out at me as like, you know, super egregious. But one thing that did jump out at me was the market cap is a little over 3 billion, but their enterprise value is over 7 billion. So that would be something that I would want to investigate is why is there such a huge difference to that? And I, I suspect before I dig into it after our just recent conversation here is that it relates to the acquisition that they made and that they probably took on a lot of debt because that's a big part of enterprise value of any company is the debt. And that would lead me to think, okay, they took on a lot of debt to buy this acquisition. What's the best way to steward your wealth? Looking to find great businesses with a margin of safety? My advice, Value Spotlight at valuespotlight.com. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Budgeting was always a challenge for me. I struggled to find the best way to keep track of all of my money, not to mention all the time tracking down receipts, cataloging expenses, and trying to figure out what went wrong with my air quote system until Monarch Money. Monarch Money allowed me to easily see what is going on with my finances, helping me get a better handle on my spending, budgets, and more. 
It's my go-to app every day, more so than my bank, because I can quickly see where I am with my budgets and spending, allowing me to invest more and spend time on the things that I want to do. It's my GPS for money. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all of your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash beginners. Unlike other personal finance apps, Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it so easy to set up, customize, and use. Monarch has built-in features to collaborate with your partner, family, or financial advisor. Invite them to your account at no extra cost, and they'll get their own login info and a joint view of all of your finances. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. Change the layout of your dashboard, toggle between light and dark mode, create custom budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions and notifications, and more. In fact, Monarch Money is one of the first to bring you direct Apple Card, Apple Cash, and savings syncing with the latest iOS 17.4 update. Now you can sync your wallet directly for seamless budgeting. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's a top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash beginners. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash beginners for your extended 30-day free trial. Yeah, that's a good one too, because then you start to think, all right, is the ownership structure different than your average company? Right. So if you buy a company like Microsoft, it's pretty cut and dry. You're getting... Shares of Microsoft. I buy a share of Microsoft. Dave buys a share of Microsoft. We're all in this together. Mm-hmm. But particularly with some of the smaller companies, the ownership structures can be a little bit opaque where, mm-hmm. you know, I might own a share of a small company, but then the founder CEO owns 60% of it. And right. that 60% not for sale. Yeah, that's a good one. Let's dig in. Like, okay, why is the enterprise value so much bigger than the market cap? Mm-hmm. So where would you go for that? I would go to the balance sheet. That would be the first place I would probably look to see where they are with any sort of debt and see that if that's gone up, that's where I would look. So in the liability section of the balance sheet, we can see that they did take on some debt for sure, but it looks like it's more related to long-term leases, which is considered part of the debt, but it's also, it would be an operational expense, if you will, of the top golf facilities because they may or may not own that land. They may or may not own the buildings that are being built. And so they would have to pay leases to be able to operate those. And so that would explain why there's a huge, you know, a bigger portion of the debt that was taken on. And I guess the other place you could look to would be the cash flow statement and to look in the financing activities. And we could see if they had taken on a lot of debt. We see that they have taken on gradually increasing amounts of debt over the last four plus years. It doesn't seem extreme at this point. What about you? Yeah, I'm seeing in QuickFS, the same year they did the acquisition, they also acquired, they added $562 million in debt. Mm. So that explains where they got the money to do the acquisition. Right. Yep. Because they didn't have cash flow at the time. So, right. Yep. 100%. Maybe for the newer beginner investor, is that a bad thing then for a company to do an acquisition? Like anything in finance, it depends. (laughs) It's not black and white. With Top Golf, I guess for me, it might be something that I might be, I would probably have to do a little more work on what it is they bought and try to understand what it is they bought and how risky that is in comparison to what the company is doing simply for the fact that they more than doubled their enterprise value and the majority of it is is debt 
And if they don't have the cash flow to pay that down over time, or if it puts their interest coverage, which is a metric where you measure how much their debt payments are compared to their operating income, if that's really, really low, then that could be kind of scary because if they experience a downturn in revenues, that means they might run into trouble paying their obligations and that can lead to bankruptcy. And so those kinds of things would be something that I would want to understand. But for me, it would all come back to trying to understand what it is they bought and seeing if they have a history of buying companies and how they've done it. For example, you look at Google or Microsoft. They buy a lot of companies. A lot of people don't realize this, but they do. And like YouTube, for example, is it came from an acquisition that Google made. And but because of the cash flow that that company generates, they don't have to use debt or much debt to buy things like this. Microsoft's the same. Roper, Roper Technologies, another company that I follow. They are what's called a serial acquirer. They buy lots of companies and they use debt to do it. But for them, it kind of goes in ebbs and flows. So they take on a lot of debt, then they pay it down. They take a lot of debt and then pay it down. It's, it's kind of a cycle for them. And it's just part of their operation business. So they have a history of doing it well. And so that, to me, would make me sleep better at night if they bought something. But a company like Top Golf, for example, who doesn't have as big a long a history of making big acquisitions like this, then that would probably make me a little more nervous. What about you? Like you said, it depends. So... <laughs> Um, in this case, I bet a normal person would probably just Google Top Golf 2019 acquisition, but I have to do it the hard way. So <laughs> I pulled up their 2019 10K, their yep. annual report, and then used our buddy, our favorite search function control yeah. F and search acquisition. So I found in their risk factors, they say over the last several years, the company's expanding its focus by doing acquisitions. They named a couple acquisitions they did in 2017, and then they did a company called Jack Wolfskin in 2019. And then they wrote about a little bit about that business. It's an international premium outdoor apparel, footwear, and equipment brand. So I'm actually, you know, being a US guy, I'm not necessarily familiar with that company. They might have brands that I'm more familiar with, but it's all it's all related to that Callaway brand, which if you play golf, you know that brand. Mm -hmm. And so it, it seems that that acquisition makes it look like they're targeting more of the apparel side than they are the top golf side. Mm -hmm. And so again, answering that question leads to more questions is, as an investor, do I agree with that strategy? Do I think that top golf helps them drive business to that apparel business? Mm -hmm. And then you also want to ask, okay, how much of the business is apparel? How much of the business is Top Golf? And so we have more questions, you know, to go down further down the rabbit hole. But that's how I would probably start to look at at an acquisition like that. You can also look at numbers too, which, which can tell a lot as well. Right? Yeah, they tell a story. It's our job to try to decipher what they're telling us. Yes, hundred <laughs> percent. All right. So I guess moving past kind of the the whole enterprise, the whole debt idea. I guess what would be something else that you would start trying to kind of pick apart to get a better sense of what's going on with this company. So one of the things I like to do, if a company split into different segments, I want to see how profitable are each of these segments. So this is where you have to dig into the annual report. And we know because we've been talking about it, and it's actually in the name, they have Top Golf and they have Callaway, and those are two different businesses. So they do have those broken out into different segments. So you can find the segments in the annual report, or you can search segment 
until you find where is the segment operating income? Where's the profits for each of these businesses, the segment businesses? So I look at 2022 and I see that over half of the operating profit for that year came from golf equipment. So you have more than half of the business is golf equipment, about 20% is top golf and about 20% it's this segment they're calling active lifestyle. So based on that information and then you look at 2021 and it's a similar breakdown where a majority of the profits is coming from golf equipment. So as much as I love top golf, as much as I would love to go visit top golf as part of my market research, <laughs> boots on the ground, you got to go into the golf equipment and figure out that business first. So that's kind of the process of elimination I would take. And then it doesn't have to be the whole answer, but it's a good place, probably the best place to start there. So how would you do that? How would you unpack the golf equipment part of it compared to the top golf? Because the top golf is something that for me as an outsider, I've been there and I wouldn't say I know it, but I've been there and I've at least know what it is. Where the golf part of it, the golf equipment part, may be something that's unfamiliar to me. So how would I kind of start to unpack that kind of the part of the business? What I would do is start to read about what the company says about that business in its annual report. Because we're recording a podcast, I'm going to punt on that part. And I'm just going to assume we're talking about their golf clubs, their golf balls, stuff like that. So then the next step for me, once I understood generally what the business is about... What are the other businesses that directly compete with that business segment? So as a golfer, tailor-made, right? Mm-hmm. Nike to a certain extent. Yeah, I'm not that good of a golfer, so I'm blanking on any other brands that should be considered. Yeah, me too. <laughs> okay, good. So that would be the next starting point, you know? Okay, is tailor-made publicly traded? Are they a private company? Can we figure out what their ticker is or if there's a company that owns that business. And then one of the tricks I've been using a lot lately is the search function in BAMSEC. I've talked about this at least once before, but if you're a premium user for BAMSEC, you can use their search function and you can search for anytime anybody's mentioned a particular company in their own annual report. So if, if Callaway doesn't happen to list all their competitors in their annual report, I'll type in Callaway in that search function. And if TaylorMade's parent company was talking about Callaway, they would show up and then I could read all about TaylorMade's business. So you start to kind of build an industry map. Mm-hmm. And then once you have those major players, compare how big are they compared to the others? Who's the leader? Who's the small player? Who's the fastest grower? All those sorts of things. And then along the way, is this still an attractive opportunity? Or is maybe one of their competitors is an even more attractive opportunity than this one. Again, going down the hole, but that's what I would do. Let's be honest here. Your sex life is important. It helps us feel more confident and boosts our happiness. But sometimes we struggle to perform. Our life gets in the way. This is where hymns can help. With their convenient and discreet online platform, you can get help for your erectile dysfunction from the comfort and privacy of your own home. No more waiting rooms, no more awkward conversations, just a simple, direct path to treatment that works around your life, not interrupts it. Invest in your health today. Hims is changing men's health care by providing access to affordable sexual health treatments from the comfort of your couch. 
Hims provides access to doctor-trusted ED treatment options such as chewable hard mints, brand-name treatments like Viagra, or generic alternatives for up to 95% cheaper. The process is simple and 100% online. No uncomfortable doctor visits. Answer a series of questions on their site, and a medical provider will determine the right treatment option. If prescribed, your medication ships to you free. No insurance is needed. If ED is getting you down, it's time you join the hundreds of thousands of trusted HIMSS subscribers and get treated. Start your free online visit today at HIMSS.com slash investing. That's H-I-M-S dot com slash investing for your personalized ED treatment options. HIMSS.com slash investing. Hard mints are chewable compounded products which are not approved by or verified for safety and effectiveness by the FDA. Prescriptions require an online consultation with a healthcare provider who will determine if appropriate. Restrictions apply. See website for details and important safety information. Subscription required. Price varies based on product and subscription plan. Uh, that's awesome. Would you look at numbers like margins or anything like that to try to give you maybe some easy comparisons, especially if the other companies are traded publicly just because it's a segment within top golf you may not have those readily available but hopefully they give you enough information to calculate them on your own and then would you compare those to other outside companies yes okay. yeah i've had to do that with like texas instruments for example mm. because the semiconductor companies can be in multiple segments mm-hmm. It is a lot of digging, and that's why people pay money for research because it can be a lot. And it's not as simple as taking Walmart or something and comparing it to Target. Those are a little more easy. So yeah, it depends on the industry. Okay. All right. So now that we kind of understand, let's say that we have a pretty good working knowledge of Topgolf's revenue breakdown and their segment breakdowns, where would you kind of go next? Yeah, that's hard to answer. I think there's probably a lot to be said for having like a a process you follow with every company. Mm. And just for whatever reason, I'm not built that way. So I think from there, the questions have probably piled up and I'm just trying to solve them. Mm -hmm. I probably try to wrap it up with what we were talking about in our last episode of if the company's cheap, why is it cheap? And let's figure out that question. Mm-hmm. especially if the company is very cheap, that might come not even from anything you can research, but just either general knowledge or something that you pick up after researching for several days. Right. And then what are the risks? Whatever company you're looking at, hopefully is one of the best or is the best. What are the reasons why they will no longer be that way, mm-hmm. which could make you overpay for this stock? Mm-hmm. And those are, I feel like those are things you and I try to bounce back over. Right over and over again with a lot of these companies. But to me, I think it's important. Are there things you would look at as far as, you know, you mentioned margins and some of that other stuff. What have we missed here that people can also look at when they're trying to analyze a brand new company? I think I would probably, once I've kind of gotten my head around a lot of the things that we've talked about, I would probably spend some time. The risks are very important. And I think really understanding that and being able to invert why you think this is a great company, I think is a great exercise to, you know, kind of, I guess, you know, destroy your babies, see what could take this down. I think is a good exercise. But there, another thing that I would do would be looking at financial analysis and trying to really understand the company as far as what the financials are trying to tell me, whether it's kind of looking at the income statement. And not necessarily picking it apart line by line, but at least understanding the margins 
and comparing those to the industry, looking at revenue growth or not revenue growth and comparing that to the industry. Looking at things that maybe are not talked about a lot is maybe the capital allocation of the company. Looking at returns on capital, how do they spend the free cash flow that they do generate? Do they pay a dividend? Do they not? Do they give back? Do they reinvest? Do they buy back shares? And if they do buy back shares, how often do they do that? Just all those things would be stuff that I would want to know. What is management doing with the money that they generate? How are they going to take care of me you know, as a shareholder? How have they done that now and how have they done that historically? Another thing that I would do would be to look at the proxy of the company. And I would try to determine a few things from that. Number one, I'd want to know how long has management been in place? Who sits on the board of directors? And then maybe looking at how they get paid or what they get paid. just And then comparing that to others in the industry. Sometimes you may look at a number and go, oh my God, that's a lot. But then if you look at three or four of the other companies in their sector or their industry, and they're all getting paid roughly the same, or maybe our person at Top Golf is the lowest, those can help you understand maybe some of the incentives and what drives them to make the decisions that they make. Those are things that I like to look at, especially with in related to capital allocation, because as Michael Mobison said, that's job number one. And if they don't allocate the money they make well, then it's all... Eventually, it's all kind of pointless. And so that's something that I would really try to take a, a bigger deep dive into. Yeah, it's Avi, that's perfect because as you said that, I looked at income statement, look at the shares. Are they, like you said, are they buying back shares or are they dilating shares? Mm-hmm. In the case of this company, they're dilating shares and buy a lot. So 2021, 2022, a lot of dilution. And that explains the high growth in 2021, 2022. So is dilution always bad? No. There's a lot of companies that use dilution and they invest. And really, those are some of the best investments you'll ever make if you can find a company like that. Mm -hmm. That for me is too hard pile. So when I see that kind of dilution, at this point in my analysis, as soon as I saw it, I would probably move on or just see if another company in there is more attractive. Mm -hmm. So for me, yeah, the capital allocation can help you find something like that. And then, you know, that's the hard part, right? To determine whether some of these capital allocations good or not. Right. It's not always it's not always black or white. No, it isn't. And just and a lot of times, you know, we love ROIC and we've talked about that ad nauseum many, many times and even more off air. But sometimes the number doesn't tell the whole story and it can be misleading. And so that's why you really have to look at the numbers and understand what it is they're doing and what they're not doing. And perfect example is the whole dilution aspect that would not show up in the ROIC. And so you could have a you know a company with a super high ROIC, but they're diluting the crap out of their shares. You wouldn't know it. And so that's why it's, it's really good to kind of have a holistic view of the company so that you can really appreciate all those things. And I think something you just said is something I think we probably should emphasize when you find something that falls into your too hard pile at any point, you can move on. You don't have to, just because you think Top Golf or Mocotter Libre is the greatest thing since sliced bread, it doesn't mean that if they don't fit your criteria, you can't move on and find another pitch to swing at because there's, I don't know, 7,000 plus public companies traded in the world. There are opportunities. 
So it's just, it's just a matter of, you know, trying to find a thing that's going to fit best for you. And so I think that's something that probably we maybe don't talk enough about, but you can easily move on. So at any point, doesn't matter whether you spent five seconds or 50 days working on a company, you come across something that just you don't like, if you want, you can move on. You don't have to swing. What do you say to the investor who maybe is like close to that 50 days that they feel like now is wasted learning about a company? What do you say to somebody like that? It's absolutely not wasted because it gives you that much more insight into that particular company as well as the industry. And maybe that thing that's causing you to pass on it, maybe that alleviates in three to five years and you come back to it and you've already got all that knowledge about this company. And it's just a matter of kind of updating yourself. And, you know, especially if you've taken notes along the way. And so there's that. Then there's the other aspect of it. John talked about this. It's the repetitions. It's you've put in the time to analyze this company that thoroughly and that deeply. You can easily you know, emulate that in the next company. And that could be, you know, your next Google. And so those skills and, you know, experience that you've gathered by doing that is you can easily transfer that to the next opportunity. And you can just build on that. So it's absolutely not wasted. It's, it's all time spent is, you know, what is that? The 10,000 hours you need to become a master, right? Whether or not that's true is under controversy, apparently. But the 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 execution and the skills of all that, it can absolutely help you with that. I've done that. I've spent endless hours trying to find a solar company that I can invest in that would fit my criteria. And I can't tell you how many 10Ks I read, 10Qs I read, listened to, you know, analyst reports and listened to CEOs talk and articles. I just, yeah, yeah, hours and hours and hours and hours and hours and hours and hours of stuff. And I didn't buy any, but those are all things I use to find other companies. It, you know, it's a different business, but it's all the same process. So yeah, it's even if you've gone to 50 hours and you decide at the last second, you just don't want to do it. That's okay. It's all, you know, in the accumulation of knowledge and getting better at your craft. I mean, why do you think Warren Buffett is so good at it? He doesn't have to do a DCF because the guy's been doing it in his head for, you know, 70 years. So he doesn't need a spreadsheet to do it. Mere mortals like me, I need an Excel spreadsheet. So, you know, it's just, it is what it is. That's wonderful advice. Clap emoji, clap emoji. Yeah, clap emoji. All right, folks. Well, with that, we will go ahead and wrap up our show for this week. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on your preferred podcast app if you enjoyed our little show. If you would, kindly consider giving us a five-star review. It greatly helps our show. And don't forget to browse the incredible materials that we've created for you at einvestingforbeginners.com. Lastly, continue growing your knowledge as an Investing for Beginners insider with insights and educational tips delivered right to your inbox for free. Sign up today. And with that, we will go ahead and sign us off. You guys go out there and invest with a margin of safety, emphasis on the safety. Have a great week and we'll talk to you all next week. We hope you enjoyed this content. Seven Steps to Understanding the Stock Market shows you precisely how to break down the numbers in an engaging and readable way with real life examples. Get access today at stockmarketpdf.com. Until next time. Have a prosperous day. The information contained is for general information and educational purposes only. It is not intended for a substitute for legal, commercial, and or financial advice from a licensed professional. Review our full disclaimer at einvestingforbeginners.com.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.